0: BIRD's Patient and Public Engagement, podcasts. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Mel Brooke, the Patient and Public Engagement Programme Director for BIRD. Today, I'm joined by two rheumatology experts. Dr Valerie Rogers is a consultant in paediatric rheumatology and child and adolescent chronic pain and is someone who works with both the Bristol Royal Hospital for Children and the Royal National Hospital for Rheumatic Diseases in Bath. And we welcome back Dr Sarah Tansley, also from the RNHRD in Bath. Sarah is an academic clinical lecturer in rheumatology, who has several areas of special interest. In this podcast, we're going to learn a bit about the background of children's rheumatology services, And hear how, as they start to reach adolescence, they're encouraged to develop confidence and independence before transitioning to a special young adults clinic, which is a bridge between paediatric and adult rheumatology services. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Hello, Valerie. Hi, I'm here. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. I wondered if we could perhaps start with you, Valerie, and if we could talk around um, how children's rheumatology pathway works and and a kind of a general bit of background into how things work for children when they are brought into clinic.
1: In paediatric rheumatology, we're very much part of the paediatric department within a hospital or in a specialist children's hospital. And so clinics themselves are very geared towards children. So the waiting rooms are usually very child friendly and we're a big multidisciplinary team. And so there'd be lots of nurses around. There'd be lots of toys for the children to play with. There would be a a very family focused, child focused atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then when, when the child actually came into the clinic room to see one of us, there'd often be a nurse in there with us and the parent would bring the child in um, and then we would uh, go through a normal clinic consultation but we'd be very focused on really working out what was the the best thing for that child within the context of their family and sometimes they'd go on to have some time with our nurses or they might uh, see some of the other specialist members of the team.
0: I'm guessing you see every sort of age of child under Um, the age of about 18. Absolutely, and our youngest patients are even under one. Wow, that's so young. Obviously, the younger children need adults with them. So, what, what sort of age do they start to become independent and are they able to attend appointments on their own?
1: Well, most of our patients actually still come with a parent, even when they're getting older. But what we try to do is... As they go into adolescence, we try to encourage them to have a bit of that consultation with just the young person there on their own. Sometimes that's really hard and sometimes they don't mm. feel confident to do that. But we try and encourage that. Some young people are very happy uh, to come in by themselves for a part of that consultation from the age of, I don't know, 13 or 14. Some of them, even at 16, don't want to do that without their mum being there.
0: You can understand that
1: definitely i think i think there's all sorts of factors to this really i mean sometimes if we've had one of these patients who actually has been part of our team since they were tiny say they were diagnosed you know when they were three or four and so we might have actually known them for 10 years or more Uh, and so obviously we develop a relationship with them but you also get into a pattern of how that consultation will go and because the parent or the carer has usually been the main part of that, uh, it's quite hard sometimes to to change, to letting the young person take that the lead in that consultation. So it can be a bit tricky with that moving to uh, having a sort of parent focused discussion to having uh, a discussion led by the young person.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, as a parent, you feel so protective towards your child and you you get very used to always being there and always doing things for them. So it is quite difficult to let go, I think.
2: And I think when people come into the adult services, it doesn't mean that parents can't continue to be involved. A lot of Mm -hmm. our adult patients will bring, bring a significant other to their appointment with them. People bring husbands, wives, friends, partners, and for the younger patients, actually their parent may still be you know, the most appropriate person to bring along as a second pair of ears or somebody to remind them about things that they wanted to ask when they're in the appointment. Yeah. I think the shift is just that we focus more on the the person with the condition as the sort of driving force of the consultation rather than perhaps the parent. And I think, as Valerie says, sometimes it's easier to do that when you've met somebody as a young adult um, or as an adult person rather than, you know, when you remember what they were like when they were three.
0: That's mm. <laughs> very true, Sarah, about bringing people. Yep, people do. Of course they do. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that. But I think actually um, part of the joy of being a paediatrician
1: is watching these young children mature into adolescents and young people. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, we're talking as though everybody comes in when they're three and they're still with us when they're 16. We might have new patients when they're 14. You know, it it can be it can be patients arriving at any age. Yeah. But adolescence is such a fantastic and wonderful and scary and weird and amazing time. But I think it is really important that even though we know the parents so well often, and even though the parents are so involved in the care, and just like Sarah said, you know, obviously they it, it's very important often that you have somebody else who can be with you in consultations. I think it's really important though that we give the young people the chance to to learn to manage this condition by themselves, because really that's what uh part of adolescence is about, isn't it? And it's it's really about helping uh, young people go from sort of dealing in that sort of very parent-led, child-friendly clinic to actually learning to take some responsibility and handle the appointments themselves, and and that's what's a, a joy to be part of, but also can be quite tricky. Uh, and so, working out how we do that is is part of the process of what we'd call transition. But really, it's it's really about giving the best care to our adolescents and young people.
0: Mm.
2: Yes, yeah, we've tried to make that process easier from the adult side of things in that, you know, as patients transition across, we've moved away from slotting them into our kind of ordinary adult clinics to having a dedicated young adult clinic where mm. we can, you know, kind of bridge that gap um, a, little, a little bit and help sort of smooth out some of the bigger differences between paediatric rheumatology and, and, and adult rheumatology.
1: That's yeah. brilliant, and and the other thing that we're trying to do is uh, we're we're doing joint clinics, and Sarah, you and I do yeah. joint clinics, don't we? Um, where actually we can have uh, young people coming to a pediatric clinic, but meeting the adult team, so that actually when they finally do transition from pediatric services to adult services, it's not that you know scary thing of somebody they've never met before. So, and and the other thing that we've tried to do is. Uh, allow or encourage young people to actually go to the environments that the adult clinics would be held in Mm -hmm. because again you know when you've been in my nice fluffy pediatric clinic and then suddenly you've got to go to this uh new building with often quite a lot of old people around Mm. it can be it can be a bit weird so we've tried to make that as uh as straightforward as possible so going back to
0: parents and and their involvement what what is their kind of role in all of this
1: well obviously when we 've been working with a family potentially for years um, it 's really important, and, and as you 've already said it can be extremely difficult for a parent to let go of their child, especially when they 've been so involved in managing their condition with us over the years so actually, the research would all show that the best thing for the young people is actually to involve the whole of the family and particularly you know the parents or the carers in this process of transition so we don't um, sort of whisk the young person away and leave the poor parents standing there on their own, but we try and explain this whole process to them. And it can be difficult as a parent, can't it, letting go Mm. anyhow. Um, so, So walking alongside the parents or the carers, as well as the young people, seems to be the best way of helping them with that move to sort of growing independence and then confidence to be able to manage things when they do get into the adult setting and it's really reassuring you know what sarah was saying about the parents it's not a, it's not a cutting off it's not you hit the age of of 18 and then you, your your mum can never come with you but it is really about helping that young person develop those skills for themselves without uh, without cutting the rest of the family off mm-hmm.
2: exactly and, and you know in adult clinic we still see patients you know, who are well beyond young adult clinic who will bring their mum with them yeah. um, just because, you know, it's nice to have a, a friend, an advocate in, in clinic with you. And sometimes that's the best person to bring along, you know, no matter how old you are.
0: Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it depends on the person, doesn't it? And the relationship that they've got. Yeah.
2: A day shopping in Bath with your mum after every <laughs> clinic appointment, I think, goes down well for many years.
0: Perfect, You're it? absolutely
2: right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the transition clinic that we were talking about outside of the podcast. So this is a this is something that you set up, especially to help um, younger people to get ready to transition. I mean, it sounds great. So where does that start in the paediatric clinic? Or do you do you start it in the adult clinic where can you tell me a bit about it
1: well it's funny because in a way we make it into a sort of a big thing but really it's part of a young person's progress through any clinic so what we try and do in paediatrics is we try and introduce the concept of young people taking responsibility for their own health care uh, from quite a young age um, and what what we know is that young people can get lost as they move from paediatrics to adult care and that's across all sorts of specialties so I think we're all quite focused on trying to make this work so what we try and do in paediatrics is from quite a young age chat to the young people about gradual stages about them taking responsibility for their own care And Mm. Southampton University and the medical teams down there set up a fantastic scheme called Ready, Steady, Go. And we work through that with our young people right from quite an early age, to be honest, where (laughs) getting ready means starting to think about, do you actually know what your condition is? Do you know what your medicines are for? Do you know when you need to take your medicines? Do you know what to do if you had an illness or if you got an infection? all the things really that their parent or carer has probably taken responsibility for. Uh, And Mm. we're just trying to help people to think about them doing those things themselves. So we've got quite a structured programme really for helping young people move through and as part of that, then we try and move to seeing the young people by themselves for part of the consultation. And then moving on to what we'd call the transition clinic, where we do a joint clinic with the adult team. So like the one that Sarah, the ones that Sarah and I do.
2: Yeah, so I think it's important to remember that transition is this process that actually goes on for many years. Yeah. And while we have a transition clinic, the transition clinic isn't transition, you know, it's yeah. it's part of that process that goes on for a long time. And some patients may come to the transition clinic several times before they eventually move through into, into the adult service.
0: So Sarah, when they come more into the adult service, you, you mentioned to me about a young adult clinic.
2: Yeah, so we we set the young adult clinic up to try and bridge that gap, I suppose, between pediatric rheumatology services and the kind of adult service in general, and also just trying to acknowledge that our younger patients perhaps have some different needs, they're at a different stage in their life um, to you know to some of our older older patients. And there are quite a lot of differences just in the practical setup, I think, of how pediatric and adult services run. So the adult rheumatology is a much bigger specialty generally than paediatric rheumatology. We probably Mm -hmm. have a lot more consultants, you know, registrar doctors, SHO doctors, a bigger nursing team. And that can be quite daunting as you move into the service. Um, You wouldn't always get to see a consultant at each clinic visit. You might just be seen by a more junior member of the team, depending on how your condition is at at the time and what's been going on. And, you know, that does make it more difficult to get that mm-hmm. continuity, to have a rapport. And, you know, patients have to be comfortable perhaps telling their story to to different people and being able to to articulate that. You know, I think other things, um, if you don't turn up for your appointment, we'll write a letter to your GP, but nobody's going to phone you in, and chase you up. Um, and perhaps getting a letter like that can seem like we're telling you off. And, you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not meant with that kind of intention at all everybody forgets things everybody gets caught up or makes mistakes and it's important that patients understand if that does happen how they can rearrange an appointment how they can um, get, get back in touch with us and set things up if they do need to be seen generally in adult rheumatology we'll do all our joint injections in clinic mm-hmm. um, whereas in pediatric rheumatology you know a lot of the patients that move through to us all their previous joint injections have been done under a general anaesthetic. So we need to be mindful right. of those things because I'm sure it's probably pretty scary if the last time you had a joint injection, it was part of an operation. If somebody sort of expects you to hop up onto the couch and uh, yeah. and just crack on. With yeah, it.
0: absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. can see why it would be overwhelming for for young people as well. If they, If they're still in the kind of education system as well, it's very different, isn't it, to like where you have your first job and you're treated as an adult. So if they're coming to you at a stage where they're still in some sort of education, like you were saying about feeling like they might get told off if they miss an appointment, that's very much a in-education mentality, isn't yeah. it, being, being treated like a child. So it's very different. And, and I guess this is, goes back to why perhaps Valerie said you lose people when they transition to the adult clinics. I, I can understand why that would happen. What kinds of things do you do to kind of help them to maintain their, their care, you know, the handholdings? Or do you, do you help to remind them about coming for appointments and things? Or, or does it just go straight to, well, this is your responsibility?
2: Well, we're a much smaller team in, in the young adult clinic. Um, mm. So there's there's three doctors and one nurse who who tend to do that clinic. So it's easier to sort of get to know people a bit. And hopefully that makes people more comfortable. I would love us to be able to send... Um, text reminders for appointments and things although that's not something we've been able to, to mm. set up at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't always call people if they don't come to their appointment I think that's a discretionary thing and it might depend on the person's sort of situation but we're probably more likely to do that in the um, in the young adult clinic than in a kind of standard um, rheumatology clinic. Just acknowledging that that process of transition people are a little bit more vulnerable we know that, you know, some studies that looked at sort of transferring people from paediatrics to adults, you know, up to about 30 percent of patients get lost to follow up. So it's a huge proportion mm, of, um, of of people. Um, and it's really important that um, that, that doesn't continue. Um, we've got Entonox available for joint injections as a as a bridge between, right. um, you know,
1: and that's that's what they might have been used to as well because we use yeah. entox if we're not using a general anaesthetic.
2: Yeah, so that just makes it a little bit easier and we can avail- yeah. you know arrange for people to come up come up with that. And I think, you know, the other nice thing about the young adult clinic is when you sit in the waiting room, you're surrounded by other other young adults. Mm. And um, you know, I think it's probably very disconcerting as a young person to, you know, to be sat in a waiting room full of people who are much older. And you probably don't feel like you belong in that environment.
1: Mm. And
2: and also, you know, our adult patients, you know, many of those patients will have had their disease for decades. Yeah. And some of our older patients will have been diagnosed with their disease when, when we managed rheumatic conditions very differently. Um, yeah. And that means that their outcomes, unfortunately, aren't always as good. And Mm. I think it's probably very off putting for a young person who's had their disease, maybe for a long time, but maybe for a short time, to see people perhaps with some joint deformities and things that fortunately we don't see very often anymore. But um, I would hate for people to sort of look around a waiting room and think that that's inevitable, um, you know, in terms of how they might end up, when actually that's something that is incredibly rare with our kind of modern treatments
0: of course Mm. it's a really important message to get across isn't it yeah Mm. yeah definitely and
1: I think I think for the young people it's really I think this process is about trying to increase their own confidence really in managing their health uh, so that they have got uh, the, the skills really to deal with with that type of clinic environment but also we're also potentially thinking about them going off to university next year or going Mm. as you were saying going and getting the job and and Mm. how do they suddenly go to the other end of the country and talk about their condition and so by having the the sort of young adult clinic or the adolescent clinic which really i think bridges from about 16 to 25 really in in years Mm. Um, is so important because it's not not just, is it, about, you know, can you uh, go to see that doctor one day and then, okay, your next appointment is going to be with that doctor. But it's about Mm. the whole of that person, that holistic care for that person and looking really at not just their physical condition, but also, you know, how are they psychologically and educationally, Mm. vocationally, and how can we as teams both from the paediatric side and the adult side work to make this whole process as positive as possible and as supportive as possible for the person themselves.
2: Yeah and I think thinking about patients in you know particular life stages as well allows us to focus in the consultation and to remember to talk about some of the things that are particularly relevant Um, to people at that stage, like contraception or family planning, and, you know, making sure patients are informed so that they can look after themselves now, but also so they know what to do if, you know, if they do want to start a family in the future, so they understand, you know, the implications of what medications they might be taking, and what changes we might need to make, how their condition might need to be controlled, um, to, to make that as successful as possible
0: yeah are those the kinds of conversations you have with people you know we talked about university and things like that it's a very experimental time of life as well so there's lots of things that they're going to come across and you know obviously there's the taboo issues like sex and contraception and then there's things like alcohol and drugs and the impacts these might have and how they may not mix with medications they're on how do you have those conversations do you wait for them to ask you questions do you are you able to give them leaflets and things how does that come up we start those conversations from quite a young age
1: actually right so we will talk to our uh, adolescents and our young people um about things like smoking or drinking Mm. sex and contraception so we we try and you know, you said that they're taboo issues and they sort of can be a bit embarrassing, but actually we try and make them quite normal because this is about part of life, isn't it? And mm. it's what they're going to be uh, talking about and experimenting, potentially experimenting with. So what we try and do in the paediatric environment is is make it as normal as possible to talk about those things
0: mm. uh,
1: and that's another reason why we try and have part of the consultation without the parent or the carer being there because actually it can be extremely embarrassing talking about those things in front of uh, yeah. somebody else yeah
0: um,
1: and and the ready steady go documentation just helps us think about those things and it gives an opportunity to to in a way um, normalize it and be quite factual about things and, and uh, rather than it being a sort of like "Oh, I need to ask you a dodgy question um,
0: i guess I guess with you know social media and the amount of social media and the kinds of things that younger people are exposed to from a much younger age to an extent yes makes that less taboo but it must be very difficult to have a conversation with someone if you're thinking of them in terms of that like we were saying the educational structure where that's kind of a person in a position of authority that's quite difficult so I think this whole relationship building gradually over a period of time years even is so important Um, yeah you know, yeah, it's brilliant yeah. to hear that you're doing this.
2: And, and both, you know, paediatric rheumatology and adult rheumatology, if somebody didn't feel confident to bring up something like that within the clinic, we've both got telephone numbers that you can call, that somebody yeah. can give you a ring back. You know, if you weren't on your own and you didn't want to talk about sex in front of your mum, you can mm. call us, you know, in confidentiality another time. And, yeah. you know, we can arrange conversations and, and give advice if if we need to.
1: And in in paediatrics, we have um, uh, specialist nurses and often the patients will know the nurses just as well as they know the rest of the members of the team and usually have good relationships with them. And they have not so much an advice line, but a telephone number
0: and an email that they can always contact Mm. if they wanted to. And do you have any really good recommendations for young people? I mean, I know a lot of people like to go online and, and look things up and they can absorb it at their own pace, maybe before they come and talk to you so do you have places you know any good links that we can share or recommend
2: i like the arthur's place website i often mm-hmm. signpost people people to that
0: yeah 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 that's and versus good. arthritis they have some good information on their website too okay well i can put some links in the um podcast description that's brilliant do you know it
1: can be just as tricky for the pediatric team to let them go Hmm. So sometimes when you have got to know a patient and a family really well, it's um, it's really hard handing over that care, although it's absolutely the right thing to do. So um, we're very glad to actually work with the adult teams and set up young person services like we've been able to do in Bath and in Bristol, um, because actually then you as a as a paediatrician, you know where your young person, your young patient is going. And actually, that's really good. And sometimes what happens is that our nurses, for example, might actually go to the first young adult clinic with that young person. So Mm -hmm. that sometimes we actually, you know, have lots of steps along the way. Mm. So we might be seeing the patients in the paediatric clinic and, you know, increasingly on their own, then we might do this joint clinic where we're with the adult team. And then the next appointment might be with the young adult clinic. But Sometimes one of our staff would go to that, and sometimes we even do a catch-up back in the pediatric clinic just to be sure that they're okay, and they actually did go to their appointments and things like that, and then they move into the, the full young adult services. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lovely process. It's like watching you know watching your own offspring. It's like the, the chicks flying out of the uh-huh. nest. But, yeah, uh, real continuity of
0: care there that was lovely but,
2: but we're in yeah. touch as well aren't we Valerie you know
0: totally. the other day
2: I sent you an email just to let you know how somebody had had got on when they, they exactly. through. so yeah. you know it's it's not you come through and the door closes behind no
0: no I think that's the best case scenario you could wish for really we've got a nice team thank you ever so much for, for chatting away today thanks Mel Yeah, thank you very much, Mal. Okay, thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Sarah. I'll speak to you all soon. Yeah, bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Many thanks to Valerie and Sarah for sharing their wealth of experience and knowledge with us. It's been really encouraging to find out how a special clinic can act as a supportive pathway during transition. And from talking to Valerie and Sarah, we've certainly learnt lots about the ways they help their young people to transition between the services, and how helpful it is for parents and clinicians to walk alongside a young person as they grow and move forward. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And just a reminder that you can sign up to hear about more podcasts and all the patient engagement research opportunities that are upcoming by joining our mailing list. All you have to do is send an email to admin at birdbath.org.uk. The link is also in the text description of this podcast. We would also like to thank Healthwatch Bath and North East Somerset for helping to fund this podcast. Time for a quick cuppa and a stretch. While you've got the kettle on, I'd like to just mention our new text and donate service that will help us to fund these podcasts. All you'd need to do is... Text bird 270460 to donate £5. This costs £5 plus a standard rate message. Thanks for your support.